I hope that you will join me in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 3, as we look together at verses 22 to 39. The context here in chapter 3 is one of civil war. Israel continues to be locked inside of what seems to be an endless conflict. In one corner, we have David, whom we know to be God's chosen and anointed king, who has on his side one tribe, the tribe of Judah, and has the general Joab on his team. And in the other corner, we have Ishbosheth, one of the sons of King Saul, the villainous king, who is no longer on the scene, but Ishbosheth and others are still trying to cling to what remains of Saul's dynasty. And it's very, very contentious and violent. While our present context may not be as openly violent, and we can give thanks for that, it's certainly no less contentious, is it? All around us, we are surrounded by conflict, and pundits and politicians are competing for both our attention and our allegiance, and we can see how it even reaches into families and into family dynamics. You can identify with this. Who is it in your family? who you know you just cannot talk about politics with because they see the world in a completely different way. And you could not be more opposed to where they're coming from. And maybe you even dread family get-togethers and holidays because you just know you can't talk about this and you feel like you have to walk on eggshells. This level of conflict and contention has, has reached into families, It reaches into churches, and it divides us everywhere we turn. And against that background, we can see the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, in sharp relief. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. What would it mean? What would it look like for you to be a peacemaker inside of the social circles and the social networks in which God has placed you? What would that look like? We're going to receive a lot of guidance here in 2 Samuel 3. Because what we have is David modeling and illustrating for us what it means to be a peacemaker. And what we need to remember is that God exalts peacemakers because peacemakers exhibit his heart. God exalts peacemakers because peacemakers exhibit his heart. As Jesus says, they will be called children of God. Peacemakers model and reflect the heart 
of God, who is a God of peace, who desires peace, who loves peace, who works for peace, and he wants his children, his redeemed children, to exhibit, to display, to show his heart for peace. So how can we live as peacemakers? How can we receive the gift of peace inside of whatever conflicts we find ourselves in? Let's look together at verse 22 of 2 Samuel 3. Just then, David's men and Joab returned from a raid and brought with them a great deal of plunder. But Abner was no longer with David in Hebron, because David had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the soldiers with him arrived, he was told that Abner, son of Ner, had come to the king, and that the king had sent him away, and that he had gone in peace. So Joab went to the king and said, "'What have you done?' Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he's gone. You know Abner, son of Ner. He came to deceive you and observe your movements and find out everything you are doing. So Joab, David's general, is upset that Abner has paid David a visit. And why is he upset? Well, we have to back up just a little bit. And recall why Abner, who was Saul's general, has come to David. And the reason is because there's been a falling out between Abner and Ishbosheth. Abner had, had sexual relations with one of the concubines inside of Saul's house. And Ishbosheth called him out and said, Why did you do such a thing? And Abner didn't appreciate being called out, and he says, You know what? I'm done with you. I know that David is God's chosen king, and so I'm going to throw all my chips into David's lot. And so he goes around Israel trying to rally more support for David, and even goes to David and says, David, I'm on your team now. And stunningly, David receives him in peace, welcomes him even. And notice the repetition of peace. You see it at the very end of verse 21. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. You see it again in verse 22. And he had gone in peace. And you see it yet again in verse 23. He had gone in peace. Why does the author continue To repeat that, well, to emphasize that God is exalting David as a peacemaker. We are to learn from David's example. We've been told earlier back in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that David is a king after God's own heart. And that's not anything that David can take credit for. That simply means that God has chosen David 
And God has chosen to exhibit his qualities and his characteristics, his heart, in the heart of David. And in God's heart is a desire for peace. And even though David would have had every reason to not want to receive Abner, Abner had done everything he could to try to kill David. Back when David was on the run and Abner was fighting with King Saul, David was his enemy. And then after Saul is killed, then he joins with Saul's son, Ishbosheth. And now he's coming to David and wanting to join David's team. And you might think, and if you were in David's shoes, you might want to say, who do you think you are? You think you can just snuggle up next to me now? <laughs> now that I have a crown on my head? Now that I, I'm finally on a throne? Now that I finally am not on the run anymore, now you want to come to me? And yet that's not what David does. David wanted peace. And he wanted peace because he knew that God wants peace. And if you and if I are to be peacemakers in, the, in our families, in our church, in our place of work, in this divided and contentious world. The first step should be obvious, and yet it may be the hardest. We have to want peace. We have to want peace without any strings attached. Notice David doesn't say, all right, Abner, if you do this or that, or if you pr prove your allegiance to me, if you swear an oath, then you can come. He takes him at his word. And David doesn't know whether Abner's intentions are pure or not, but he wants peace. He wants peace in his life. He wants peace for his people. And if receiving Abner, his former enemy, in peace means peace for him and for the nation, so be it. Now, a real test of whether or not you really want peace is to imagine someone who has wronged you in some way. Maybe you have an ongoing conflict with them. Are you prepared to say, I receive you in peace? I don't expect you to say you're sorry. I want peace. I want peace with you. If you want that kind of peace... It requires something that we see in David, which is the recognition that ultimately God and God's glory is more important than my personal success and my personal vindication. To receive someone like Abner in your life requires that you say, it's not about me. For myself, I'm still hurt. It still stings what they did to me, what they said to me, and I want to cling to that. But for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the glory of God, that's more important than my personal vengeance and my personal reputation. 
Remember, God exalts peacemakers. And if you are to receive that gift, it starts with wanting peace. Do you want peace in your life? If you don't really want it, then you won't experience it. Are you willing to have peace even when your team or your ideology loses? Joab didn't want peace. Joab doesn't trust Abner. He didn't trust him before, and he certainly doesn't trust him now. He thinks that Abner has simply come to collect intelligence, to spy. He just wants to see your movements. So see what he does next. Look at verse 26. Joab then left David and sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern at Syrah. But David did not know it. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into an inner chamber, as if to speak with him privately. And there, to avenge the blood of his brother Azael, Joab stabbed him in the stomach, and he died. Joab sees Abner as a threat that needs to be eliminated. So, under a guise of friendship, he invites Abner. Of course, Abner thinks he's proven his credentials as one of David's men now, and he comes and lets his guard down. Joab pulls him aside and says, come here, I want to talk to you. And then he stabs him in the gut. Well, we see that Joab had a reason for why he did that. He was avenging the blood of his brother, Azael, who was killed by Abner. But we need to see the bigger picture of what God's doing here. The goal, from God's standpoint, is to exalt David as a peacemaker. But the means that God uses to bring that about starts by executing his judgment against Abner. God executes his judgment against Abner. We can't say that Abner didn't have this coming. After all, he has been insubordinate to God. He has rebelled against God. He says so himself when he is talking to Ishbosheth in chapter 3, verses 9 to 11. And he says that he knew God's promise to David. He knew that David was God's chosen king. And yet, he still deliberately and willingly chose to fight against God's plan. And we see here that he reaps what he had sown. God cannot be mocked. You will reap what you sow, and those who reap to please the flesh will sow destruction, whereas those who sow in the Spirit will reap eternal life. And one of the vitally important things for you and for me as we seek to be peacemakers in this world is this truth. 
the more confident you are that God is the judge and that God's judgment against sin is certain, the more freed you will be to extend your hand in peace. It comes down to the truth we see in Psalm 75, where we read that God is worthy of our praise because he is a just judge and he will execute judgment. As we read in verse 2 of Psalm 75, you say, I choose the appointed time. It is I who judge with equity. And again in verse 6, no one from the east or from the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down and he exalts another. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. As for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob who says, I will cut off the horns of all the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. Horn, of course, being a symbol of one's strength. Do you trust God to be the judge? The judge in your life and the judge over whatever conflict you face. Because if you don't, if you're not confident in God's ability and in God's power to judge, then your temptation is going to be to take matters into your own hands, to settle a score, to get even. But if you believe, as David did, that God in his own time and in his own way will bring about righteousness and justice on the earth, then you can obey and you can leave the consequences to God. And you can say, vengeance belongs to the Lord. He will repay. He doesn't need me. And he doesn't need you to be the judge. He will judge sin in his own time and in his own way. And we see here how he is executing his just judgment on Abner. Because, as we saw, Abner wasn't really converted. He only turned sides because he had a feud with Ishbosheth, and he just makes his decision for David on the basis of political calculations. Now look at David's response in verse 28. Later, when David heard about this, he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner, son of Ner. May his blood fall on the head of Joab and on his whole family. May Joab's family never be without someone who has a running sore or leprosy or who leans on a crutch or who falls by the sword or who lacks food. Joab and his brother Abishai murdered Abner because he had killed their brother Azael in the battle of Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and all the people with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and walk in mourning in front of Abner. King David himself walked behind the bier. They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king wept aloud at Abner's tomb. 
all the people wept also. The king sang this lament for Abner. Should Abner have died as the lawless die? Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. You fell as one falls before the wicked. And all the people wept over him again. Then they all came and urged David to eat something while it was still day. But David took an oath, saying, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I taste bread or anything else before the sun sets. What we see is that God executes his judgment against Abner using the sinful efforts of Joab to exact revenge. Joab does what he wants to do. And God uses his sin to bring about his purpose for David and for his people Israel. David calls him out. David calls him out. And he says, first, may my kingdom and may my person forever be innocent before the Lord concerning this. I didn't have anything to do with this. He calls him out. And then he pronounces a curse on Joab and on his entire family with plagues because of what he's done. And why is it so bad that he's done what he's done here? Well, for one thing, he is motivated by revenge. He knows that his brother Azael had been killed by Abner, and he wants to exact revenge. But if you look back at that incident, Abner wasn't really at fault. Azael was chasing him intensely and quickly and coming upon him, and Abner warned him. And Abner did not use the front end of his spear. Rather, he used the back end of his spear, and it happened to go through Azael. He killed him in self-defense, and as a result, he would have been exonerated in an Israelite court. Joab also was guilty of taking advantage of Abner, using treachery, using the guise of friendship to assassinate him. And to make matters even worse, he does it in Hebron. And as we've seen, Hebron was a city of refuge in Israel. What is a city of refuge? A city of refuge is a place where someone who commits manslaughter, we might say, someone who has accidentally killed someone, can go for hiding, and they should be safe. And this is where David has been safe. And Abner should have been safe. And yet Joab kills him in a city of refuge. But what's really driving Joab? Joab is envious and feels threatened by Abner. Why? Because here is Abner, a great general. 
now being brought into David's inner circle. And Joab sees this as a zero-sum game. If he is gaining more influence, I must lose influence, and so I've got to eliminate him. Envy. Beware of envy. Envy is the seedbed that Satan so often uses to sow hatred and violence and conflict in our lives. Envy. Looking at somebody else's life and saying, why are they successful? Why are they rising? Why do they have this in their life and I don't? Or why do they not have this in their life and I have this in my life? Beware of envy. And also remember this. Sometimes it is necessary to engage in conflict for the sake of peace. When the glory of God is at stake, when the truth is at stake, when right and wrong is at stake, it would be wrong to not engage in conflict. Those things matter. They matter to God and they should matter to his people. But when you find yourself in the midst of conflict, you have to ask this question. On what basis am I engaged in this conflict? How much of it is driven by my personal preferences? How much of it is driven by my own pride? How much of it is driven by my innate desire to win versus a desire for the truth, for the glory of God? Be honest. Examine yourself, examine your motive, examine your heart. That's the question we have to ask if we are to be peacemakers. And we see David's lament over Abner, which is so striking. David, crying out loud, weeping, lamenting, over someone who had tried to kill him on multiple occasions. And something very interesting you need to notice, if you look at the end of verse 31, it says, King David himself walked behind the bier. We see something here that we haven't actually seen before. We see David called the king. Some of your translations may not bring this out, but he is called the king. This is when David really comes into his kingdom. This is when David shows that he is a king after the heart of God. And it does not go unnoticed. As he cries out and says, how could Abner die this way? Someone who was a great warrior, someone I had respect for, how could he die like a fool? Assassinated. He's grieving over the death of his enemies. And look at what people say at verse 36. 
all the people took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. So on that day, all the people there and all Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. Then the king said to his men, Do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? And today, though I am the anointed king, I am weak. And these sons of Zeruiah are too strong for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. We see how God is exalting David, the king, the king, his king, as a peacemaker. And we see that as he's doing that, he does it by executing his judgment against Abner, his enemy. And we see that he uses Joab's sin in his efforts to exact revenge. God uses that and God turns it for good, as only God can. And the end result of all that is that David is exonerated before Israel. David is exonerated. The people can't help but notice, look at how he cries for his enemy. And in this collection of people at the funeral, you have people who are from Judah, from the south, who are on David's team, and you have people who are from the other tribes who fought with Saul and maybe would still fight with Ishbosheth given the choice. And they see in David something that they can't explain. What's with this guy? There's something different about this king. And they see he had no part in the murder of Abner. He didn't want this. This is a king who does not want a bloody purge on the other side of his accession to the throne. And what that means for you and for me as we seek to be peacemakers, exalted by God, is that we should long with every fiber of our being to have a pure conscience and to live with as much transparency as possible. Our prayer should be, God, search me and know me. God, where you see corruption in me, where you see lingering sin, God, I want to deal with that. But so often, we can easily fall into this pattern where we know how to play the church game and we know the kinds of things that we should say when we're around certain kinds of people, especially church people, and we can speak that vocabulary, but when we're at home, in the privacy of our home, well, we have a completely different vocabulary. When we're with other Christian people, we have a certain attitude. We know what to say. We know what we shouldn't say. 
on our own. What we think about, what we look at, what we do are things that we know we would never do at church. Not just because of the formality of church, but we wouldn't want anybody in the church to know that we were thinking that or doing that. Well, never mind what church people would say about whatever those closeted sins might be in your life or those closeted thoughts. Would you do it around the Lord Jesus? Would you say that around Jesus? Would you go there with Jesus? Think carefully. David's longing is to be transparent, to say, I didn't have anything to do with this. And I want the whole world to see. And if you want to come look at my household, if you want to look at my relationship with my family, if you want to look at my marriage, if you want to see me at work, have a look. And where I need to be held accountable, hold me accountable. And where I need to cry out to God for repentance and for deliverance, I'm going to do that. But my longing is to have a pure conscience and to not settle into this trap of of acting one way and talking one way around some people and then acting totally different around others. God sees through that. You can't deceive God. David is exonerated. He is proven innocent. And he is exalted. Now, all the tribes of Israel are starting to rally around him. He is exalted as a peacemaker. And it's all because he is exhibiting the heart of God. But look at verse 39. Where he says, And today, though I am the anointed king, I am weak. And these sons of Zeruiah are too strong for me. What does he mean? He means that while David has the desire for peace, while he wants peace, he is ultimately incapable of delivering it. Because as a human being, he is limited by political calculations, he can't just get rid of Joab. He's his main general. He can pronounce curses and plagues on him, but it would be a terrible mistake from a political standpoint to get rid of Joab. David was a sinner, and he was bound by the weakness of the flesh. And therefore, he sets the stage for the one we know as Jesus Christ, the greatest descendant of David. And we know that he not only desires peace, not only pronounces a blessing on peacemakers, but who is our peace. As we read in Ephesians 2, Verse 14, for he himself, that is Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. He obeyed all of that. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, 
to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, that is Gentiles, and, he, and peace to those who were near, that is Jews, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Jesus is our peace. If you want more peace in your life, in the midst of this conflicted age, both, both peace with yourself, peace with your family, peace with your coworkers, it begins here by recognizing that the Lord Jesus and only the Lord Jesus in dying on the cross by absorbing God's just wrath against your sin can give you peace with God vertically. And only the Lord Jesus can bring together people who are as diverse as us. Only Jesus can break down that wall of hostility. Only Jesus can enable you and empower you to be a peacemaker. So the question is very simple. Do you know him? Is he your peace? Or are you the type of person that just loves drama and you just feed on that? Or you're the type of person who is trying to take a side and you're determined to win? When you come to Jesus, it's a matter of surrendering and saying, Jesus, you are my peace. Jesus, only through you can I have peace with my heavenly Father. Only through you can I have peace with myself. Only through you can I have peace even with my enemy. Help me. Here's my life. You are Lord. Can you confess that today? I pray that you would as we go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we praise you and we thank you for the gift of peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. We thank you for showing us how you exalt peacemakers. But we confess, Lord, that we are unable by our own strength or by our own power to be peacemakers. Lord, I thank you for the Lord Jesus. I thank you for sending your very own Son so that through him we might be reconciled to you and to one another. Lord, help us by the power of your Spirit to live into that reality. And wherever we are, whatever conflicts we find ourselves in the midst of, Lord, empower us and equip us to be peacemakers so that we might be called your children. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us through the service. We pray that it's been a blessing. If you have any questions or, or ministry needs or, or burdens you'd like to share with us, please reach out by email. Have a wonderful week.